Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It is good to be back and just in the nick of time too because in massive football news this weekend, the Dockers have drafted a new mascot to their stable. More of that later in the chat. My name is Emma Rayson. To unpick all of the important footy and footy-adjacent news this week, I'm joined by my fabulous feminist footy-loving sanctum siblings. I'm going to let you rip off your oversized mascot head and reveal yourselves, friends. Hi, it's Kate Sear. Hello, it's Lucy Race. Um, We are back after four weeks after deep diving the story behind all of the AFL uh, new coaches that are coming into with the, with the new clubs and the new teams, which I just loved those chats. I've got to say, if you haven't listened to them yet, please go back and listen to them. Lucy, your chat with Scott Gowans got me really invested in the swans, which is an interesting thing for me to even conceptualise given that, you know, we are on T minus 38 days till Hawthorne enters the competition and we're so excited about it. But Loz Arnell also just taking it to the next level. I've got to say, like, when Julia kind of brings it because she has that relationship with Woody and with Loz Arnell, those chats have a different kind of sound to them. Did you just love listening to them, Kate? Yeah, it was great. And I feel like particularly the conversation with Lauren Arnell was so authentic and real and the sort of conversation that is only possible, I think, because Julia has that relationship with her and I really enjoyed um, the honesty of Lauren Arnell's conversation, the fact that she said that she wasn't sure that she was up to being a coach and felt she had some kind of imposter syndrome and really had to work through a lot of stuff to accept that she belonged in that space. And and um, and I thought that was refreshing and, and kind of inspirational as well to hear that conversation. I just loved how honest they were. Scott Cowan's dishing the dirt on getting um, pushed out of North and Loz Arnell dishing the dirt on how she felt when she got sat down and, and got told to walk on from Carlton and kind of talking through that graduation of being, you know, being the skipper, then being, you know, not being the skipper and then not getting a game. Like she has done the ultimate see you later (laughs) when she's gone on to become a premiership winning player and now a coach. I know we talk about rivalries, but I reckon she's going to bring a special type of coaching when she meets Dan Harford when Port play Carlton. Are you ready for that, Lucy? Oh, look, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also one of the things I, I loved, like you, it just made me feel really invested in these new teams. And Shout out to Natalie Wood. I loved that conversation and I'm so wrapped that she is a coach in this competition and I cannot wait to see what happens with Essendon. I feel really invested in that club, which 
is the weirdest thing I've ever said. <laughs> we were, of course, walking straight past the fact that I spoke to Beth Goddard, but exactly. she is actually a member yep. of our family um, <laughs> and we don't want to get too parochial here. But um, I'm so pleased to see Beck back in the competition. I think everyone is. I'm looking forward to her writing her next chapter and I feel like Scott Gowans probably feels the same way. The other thing I loved and this really made me laugh because we don't call you Luce and we don't call Julia Jules, but Loz went there and so did Scott. <laughs> I just loved it. And then Natalie Wood also said, you can call me Natalie Wood, you can call me Woody, don't call me Nat Wood. <laughs> and I think Scott Gowan called her Nat Wood. <laughs> I didn't want to tell him. <laughs> He'll find out the hard way. Hey, um, speaking of coaches, North did the coach sacking bounce to get their second win of the season over Richmond, if you don't mind, on the weekend. It was such a highlight. I was barracking for them so hard and I even thought even every person in Tasmania would be barracking for them, even though I know that that comes at a cost. What were your highlights, Lucy? Well, look, my highlight is actually just really dipping back into men's football. It's such an exciting time. The ladder is really congested. I think people will be wasting so many work hours doing that ladder, what's it called? What's that thing called? <laughs> ladder predictor? predictor. The ladder predictor. So plugging in all of the results and seeing where people are going to end up because, you know, there's the top of the table, but then you've got three teams sitting just around the eight. So Richmond, Western Bulldogs and St Kilda. So I think it's fascinating. I truly loved the six goal hauls. And we saw a number of them. I don't think that we can go past that of Kazai Pickett. Pickett in the pocket. Can we now rename the pocket the picket? Pocket, pocket, picket. It's just the picket. I actually don't think there's enough superlatives to describe what he did in that game on a run to land in Alice Springs. It was the stuff of legend. It was such an incredible performance when his team really needed him. Three of those goals at least I think will be contenders for goal of the year. I just think it'll be one of those games that we talk about for a really long time, one of those individual performances. And look, I know that there aren't eyes in teams, but there are five in individual brilliance. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you did the maths on that. What about Geelong breaking the Blues hearts to scare the crap out of the rest of the competition? Like you can't, you can never, ever like, don't turn your back on Geelong. They are like the, the sea. They were, the they, were, they were angry that day, my friends. I just didn't expect it to be that much of a trouncing. Like, oh, I don't know, do we call it a trouncing? Probably not. But I expected it to be way more competitive than it was. Geelong just know how to put you in the Iron Maiden and turn it up to 11, don't they? Yeah, the question, though, whether for me is whether they're peaking too early because it's oh. July, you know. <laughs> but it's round 18. So I'm just I just want to put that out there that they might be peaking too early. What was your highlight, Katie? Well, it was it was North. It was the North win as well. I was also cheering for them. So sorry to all the Tigers uh, listeners, but that was an exciting game. It looked like Richmond had got it, and I was so impressed by North managing to come back in that last minute or two. I really feel for David Noble, of course, but this should have been an open watch because. I read yesterday that in recent years, when you have a caretaker or an interim coach, five out of six of them have won that first game after the previous coach has been sacked or resigned, pushed out. I also, though, did feel for Lee Adams as the interim coach because it must be 
it must be so exciting and such a joy and um, kind of life goal to come in and be a senior coach and to win in those circumstances must be exciting, but you also must feel like you've got to keep a bit of a lid on it because it feels like you're sort of rubbing it into the coach who just left in a way. So I felt for both of them. But can I just say something about the Hawthorne and West Coast game? And I want to introduce a new concept to the pod. So um, Hawthorne were the favourites to beat West Coast. And Lucy, you put something on the group chat a couple of days ago when you said, West Coast will beat us. Mark my words. <laughs> she did say that. Now, I, I have a term I want to use to coin this, and I'm going to call it the reverse ponga. <laughs> Those of our listeners who watch the State of Origin might know what I'm talking about, but let me explain if not. There was the State of Origin decider last week between New South Wales and Queensland, of course, in the rugby. And early on in the commentary, one of the commentators said that Kaylin Ponga, who plays for Queensland, had played eight or nine Origin games and and had never scored a try. And I thought, well, (laughs) what better way to guarantee that Ponga will now score a try than to begin the game by announcing he's never scored one. And of course, he went on to score one, which was kind of the clincher and really um, got Queensland the win. And so what Lucy did where she, it's like a bit of like reverse psychology, where Mm. she, where she declared that West Coast would win, thereby guaranteeing that they didn't I'm calling that the reverse ponga I love it but you can't do a reverse ponga on per like you can't do it to try and procure that no like you genuinely were like heart. yes it has to be pure of heart because it yeah. no because the yeah. ponga knows the ponga knows <laughs> the ponga knows it's like, everything it's like when the footy gods yeah they can see through a, a ruse like that I wanted to introduce another uh, another new concept I know we've you know we've got a lot to get through today but um the game between Sydney and Fremantle was an absolute cracker. And I think, you know, a lot of these games have names now. And I'd like to propose that we call this one the Shrek Cup. <laughs> Explain. Well, the reason for that is, and look, I don't know how this has got past me, but it occurred to me that night, and, and this is the very first time it's even occurred to me, is that we had Longmire versus Longmuir. <laughs> Which is quite confusing, but I thought I'll just have a little look into that. And turns out the name Longmire or Longmuir both mean a person who lived in a village that is alongside an extensive area of marsh or bog or swampland. (laughs) And indeed, the SCG just abuts Centennial Park and there is a swamp in Centennial Park called the Lachlan Swamp. And if you have a look into the history of the area around Fremantle, um, because it's on the banks of of the Swan and the coastal plains, there are a lot of areas of swampland around there. Mm. So I just think it's a no-brainer that this becomes a swamp cup. This is some world championship wormhole action that you're giving us today, Lucy, and I absolutely <laughs> love it. I cannot believe that um I can't That's believe all that all those investigative journalists who work for the <laughs> AFL haven't haven't reached this before. So the Shrek Cup, I love it. I love everything about it. I feel like Longmire and Longmuir might actually be derivatives of the exact same name. You know how just like yeah. different you know, over spellings, time, different spellings over time. Different spellings, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. So it probably turns out that they're brothers or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, my my other highlight, I will just touch on this quickly, was yesterday I was at the MCG for the Hawthorne West Coast match, as you were, Lucy. Um, but before the game, there was a really beautiful, it was the inclusion game yesterday and just thought, gee, footy has actually come quite the distance. My kids were a part of a really 
exciting uh, footy clinic with AFLW players on the field. A lot of those AFLW players said that they have never been on the MCG before, which when we're hitting season seven of the AFLW kind of shook me. I was like, this is surprising. But obviously it shows the distance that we've come and the way that we have to go. But the other thing that was happening at the same time was there was a footy clinic for people who are blind in the goal square. And so a lot of members of of the Hawthorne Blind team were there to assist with that. And I just thought, gee, footy's come a long way, you know, Back in our day, obviously, girls couldn't play. And now we've got these different layers, people having different experiences when they go to the footy. And I just want to salute Hawthorne. And actually, all footy clubs do stuff like this. And it was a pretty surreal game yesterday, actually, because lots of people have died in the last week or two around footy. And I just thought, you know, they did actually pay pay tribute to those people who had been a part of the game and, and changed the game for whatever reason. And so footy does do its job when it's asked mm. to. So let's roll up our sleeves in Malay. We haven't done this for a while. And since we last met, the VFLW grand final was played and won by the Bombers. And um, and I bring this up. I know that um, not everyone listening to the, this is in Victoria and I'm not going to get so parochial about Victorian um, football competitions here. But um, what's really interesting is that the Bombers elected to go into the VFLW grand final and, and, and to the finals and, and play their AFLW, some of their AFLW talent. And it was a huge decision to make because what happened in the grand final was that their inaugural AFLW signee, Georgia Nanskowin, tore her ACL in the grand final and now will miss the Bombers' first AFLW season. Hawthorne had to make a a really similar decision. They had to decide whether they were going to play their AFLW signed um, sign talent in the VFLW team who'd been playing all season and they chose not to and they didn't make it through the finals um, series after having a pretty successful um, season. I was thinking about the price that these teams and these players um, pay is actually huge. They're difficult decisions in these feeder comps and feeder comps have actually had so much asked of them and the players in these teams have had so much asked of them while the AFLW has been established, moved, settled, you know, while new teams have come in. And these comps now get the opportunity to find their next gear. But I, I feel like at what cost? Like all footy decisions are hard, but in the W I find them even harder. There's really nothing, there's no established pathway in the M that we can look at to help reverse engineer the right decisions when we're looking at women's footy. Often we look at footy decisions as a binary, like this is what you do, this this is what the norm is. And I just don't feel like that exists yet. My question to you guys today is, you know, if you're in charge of those feeder competitions, what chickens do you count? How do you reestablish? And what are the big ticket items going forward for how you can be most effective? Are you there to serve the bigger competition or are you there to serve the people who play at that level and try and breed new talent and be the very best you can be in that competition? My answer to that is it's actually not binary as well because I think that it comes down to each club individually has to decide on what their internal goals are and what their measures are and what those milestones, those steps they're going to take to get there. Even, you know, going going back to listening to the four new coaches that are coming into the W, they've all had a similar task ahead of them and they've all gone about it in quite different ways. And that's informed by their experiences, previous experiences, the relationships they have, but it's also informed by the clubs and the people around them and their approach to, to what they're building. And so I think that's it, that it's just one more decision that you have to make in terms of that particular framework. There aren't just 
limitless ways to get somewhere. You've Sometimes you've actually just got to make a decision and stick with it and things might not turn out the way that you want them to, but I think staying the course and being true to whatever that original goal is and, you know, knowing what the course that you're sailing internally is the most important thing. Well, I do. I agree with you, Lucy. I think it's a, it's a decision that depends in large part on the internal workings of the club and the goals of the club. A couple of weeks ago, Marnie Vinell wrote a piece for The Age, which was about this and um, or about the the Essendon VFLW victory. And it was sort of laid bare in there, the, the different um, views and positions of the, of the clubs, because Brendan Major, who's the head coach of the VFLW side, talked about the VFLW as an important pathway or feeder for the AFLW side. But then Hawthorne, who'd signed a number of players up for the AFLW, transitioned them out of the VFLW to get them ready for the AFLW preseason. I don't think there's any hard and fast or cut and dry rule about what to do here because listening to you both talk about it reminds me that every year in the VFL men's competition these conversations unfold and there's always controversy and differences of opinion about what a club should do when a team is deep into the VFL men's finals and perhaps still in contention in the AFLM. I remember years ago when Cyril Rioli was playing for Hawthorne and had been injured and out for a long period of time, they brought him back in for the VFL men's just to give him a little bit of time. Um, and then they put him on the bench right at the end of the the game in the VFL to keep him for the AFL men's final the following week. And Hawthorne essentially, in the, the minds of many observers, threw the towel in and was happy to surrender or sacrifice the VFL men's grand final for the bigger picture of the AFL men's grand final. And yeah, I, I think you, you, those decisions are obviously fluid and dynamic and change throughout the season. And perhaps you don't know until the last even five or 10 minutes of a VFL grand final, what you should do and where you're sitting and how, you know, what what the aim should be and whether you take a player off. And I imagine that it'll roll in a very similar way for the AFLW and VFLW until those competitions are in alignment. And even then, I think, yeah, it'll be game by game week by week. I was at the Hawthorne VFLW uh, Awards at Best and Fairest and one thing that was that I came away thinking because I was thinking, oh, those players will be feeling really bummed because they had this great season but then they didn't go on to salute during the finals where, you know, they, they probably think that they, they should have done that, you know, if they'd had the rest of their team and then there were so many changes coming towards the team at the end of the season. But what it opened up was opportunity and there was players there who got the opportunity to play a game and, and make an impact where they probably didn't think that they were going to. And there was such joy, especially when they hand out the coaches award and, you know, you know, best club person and stuff. It was just so joyous to see people, you know, getting a run when they wouldn't have necessarily thought that they would. And I guess it, at the core of it, I do think that's what sport's about as mm. well. So I think that's what sport's about mostly. I do. And and also you can't have sport without, you can't have the highs without having the lows. And there are going to be those heartbreaking stories. And it's awful that Georgia was injured in that grand final game, but potentially Georgia could have been injured at training the following week. And so you just don't know. So all you can do is make the right decision, what you think is the right decision at the time and, and go with it. And also, you know, congratulations to Essendon 
because mm-hmm. you know it's been wonderful to see just the the joy that winning that premiership has has meant to to that club and to that team and to the many many supporters who showed up and supported in the outer for that game it was spectacular wasn't it it was a really full crowd Essendon are going to be a force to be reckoned with once we hit the AFLW but I just I love what they're bringing I love what they're doing and what they're the kind of impact that they're making on the competition as a whole feel like they've really just been let out of the gates and it's going to be really exciting to watch them. Uh, Something that wasn't exciting and it's so tempting to not discuss this and what I want to talk about is not discussing this is the last week in the Herald Sun's Confidential which is really like the gossip section of the Herald Sun. The gossip reporter filed a story where comments that Rex Hunt had made on a friend's Facebook post about women in commentary roles was quoted and dressed up as a story. I just was like oh mate I pretty much had to tie my hands behind my back to not tweet about it because my instinct and this is what I want to talk about here is my instinct was to get angry and to tweet but this of course is clickbait this is in the confidential section it is not a sports story it is placed there to make us angry to click on them and to make them feel relevant it's not even a story like the the journal journalist the person who wrote the story the person who filed the story basically quoted a facebook comment that was they're obviously friends with someone who was on that chat and thought it was salacious enough to write the impact of starting this conversation not even in a sports realm but in the gossip section it is so damaging and it is makes me so angry, but I felt that the one thing we shouldn't do is to tweet and give it heat. I feel confident about talking about it here because the people that listen to this are already the people who would have been feeling angry about it. And so let's have a safe space to talk about it. But when something is so identifiably just clickbait, and I was screaming, she doesn't even go here. Like She's not even a sports journalist. It's not a sports story. This person reports on how many episodes of Neighbours have gone to air and then the next week is like dissing Daisy Pierce. I'm like, this is absolute bullshit. But the only way I could think to combat it was to not tweet about it. Is mm. that the right, is that the way that we should as a group respond to these things, Katie? It's a difficult question, right, because... Like you, I get really annoyed with stuff that is just purely designed to be clickbait and is part of that business model of the media nowadays where they, you know, the more clicks, the more ads, et cetera, et cetera. So I I see it as a purely cynical exercise designed to generate revenue and therefore on principle, I want to avoid it. But what I saw happening, and I know both of you did as well, is the way that then it creates this kind of ripple effect and there are conversations that then went on and continue to go on today, like a week or a week and a half since that story was published on social media, on Facebook platforms, on AFL chat groups, etc., where people are now continuing to debate the merits of Daisy Pierce and her skill set, but also other women in footy. People I know were making comments, really derisive comments about Daisy, but also about Eleni Glufsus and other other women who are in footy. And so at that level, it's very frustrating because it enables this kind of debate to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that, that, that we can intervene. We, the collective people who might feel differently, can intervene and stop those debates. But part of me does think on occasion that maybe it's worth saying something to try and push back. If you see people who might be receptive to push back, um, But for me, 
there's something else that I wanted to highlight that I think we get dragged into, Em, and I agree with you that, you know, I think these articles are clickbait. They're designed to draw us in, but also the terms in which the debate unfolds also draw us in, and it's those terms that I really wanted to say something about because in the, the Rex Hunt context, he was talking about the fact that there are quote-unquote quotas for women um, in commentary. Now, as far as I'm aware, that's not the case. <laughs> There's no quota. And if there is, they're failing miserably. <laughs> that's right, because there is one woman who, who makes special comments, and that's Daisy Pierce, and she's an award-winning commentator who is fantastic and knows what she's talking about. So I don't think there are any quotas. But the way in which the conversation was framed and then is unfolded, which is you know, it's kind of built on a totally incorrect, inaccurate premise to begin with, frustrates me because so often we actually do get dragged into these debates and they happen on those terms. People talk about basically whether Daisy Pierce is there on merit, whether she's good enough, whether she's better than Wayne Carey, whether she's sort of held up against other men who are on the coverage. But there's almost never any discussion of whether men deserve to be there. And this is the default position, I think, in so many walks of life. And it's a conversation, the terms of which I think we should completely reject. It happens in so many other settings too. You know, you have a woman who becomes Doctor Who for the first time. You have a black actor appear on Star Wars, like just the one, and everybody talks about whether this is acceptable, whether they deserve to be there. And the 99% of people who are in Star Wars or on Doctor Who or commentating footy who are white, usually men, their credentials are never critiqued. And My personal view is that if we are to enter into the debate or have a discussion, I think what I prefer to do is reject the terms of the discussion to begin with because it already cedes too much ground to regressive forces and the fact that there is like a single woman or a single Indigenous person involved in the game is just something that should never be up for discussion. It's actually completely (laughs) pointless um, and meaningless and very harmful as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Melissa Hickey and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Lucy, I'm sure you've got some opinions. Oh, look, you guys have done a great job of airing a lot of them. I think that it must be incredibly frustrating when you work at an organisation, you're doing incredibly good work. Um, And I'm thinking of someone like Lauren Wood here who works at that newspaper who does just the most incredible job of bringing interesting, relevant, well-researched stories and is playing such a key role in platforming women's sport and and sport generally to then have somebody in another department put up a an article like this that just really put, must pull the rug out from underneath them and that is that is very frustrating and and you're right Kate that the problem is that it does give license to people to have this conversation and anecdotally I've heard this conversation has popped up at 
football clubs during the week. And where I think there's value in in us having these conversations is that hopefully it helps, firstly, helps other people who are feeling angry like us feel heard and feel that you're not alone. But secondly, maybe gives people some talking points that when you are seated next to somebody at a table who may be spouting forth that this might be a good thing, you can perhaps bring in Kate's idea about the terms of the the argument and, and that we reject those or bring some truth, to be honest, because unfortunately, once something's printed in a newspaper, people t- tend to think it's true. I think we can do some good work in debunking that. Mate, you make some really good points there. I was thinking about how, I mean, Daisy obviously still plays for Melbourne. She works for Melbourne. Imagine the Melbourne Footy Club actually enacted what they really truly believe, which is that women are completely welcome in all facets of um, professional and sporting life. And they said to the Herald Sun, because of that article, you will not get a sit down with Max Gorn this week. Like that is actually kind of the levers that I would like to see pulled because it doesn't matter whether we have this conversation. Everyone already labels us as do-gooders and and gender equity seems, yeah, it's, it's a dirty word for them. So what I would have liked to have seen is that actually have a real world impact where, you know, whether it's Seven who back Daisy in or whether it's, Melbourne Footy Club, who back Daisy in, get right on the phone to the Herald Sun and say, you do that again or you do that, full stop, you've done it. Sorry, no Melbourne players are available to speak to you for the rest of the year. Like that is actually what should happen. I mean, Lauren Wood, as you say, Lucy, must be tearing her hair out. There is not one footy writer I don't think who works at the Herald Sun, who would not think that Daisy is an exceptional addition to to the game. None of them are saying, let's go around the grounds first to Jurassic Park to hear what Rex Hunt has to say about who's in the commentary box, are they? Like, it's just not happening. It's that ship has sailed. They're doing damage towards a brand that they want to build. The the growth of and the importance of women to um, Australian rules football at the moment, it is the only growth area. We've like They have maxed out what men can put in to this game and what men can get out of this game. This is my firm belief. And the AFLW and women's voices in every facet of the game, for which Daisy is an absolute icon, and there is not one person in the sports department who would disagree with that. That is the only growth area. The Herald Sun makes so much money from footy 24-7. They need that on board. I don't understand this decision to let something like that. It is so damaging. I just don't understand why they would why they would let that fly. And I would hope the gossip section of the Herald Sun and the sports section of the Herald Sun are having some pretty heated words with each other. And it infuriates me that people, you know, will continue to even, you know, obviously it was a, it was a woman who posted this story. It just seems completely um, like it does my absolute nut in, but of course, you know, people of all genders and all walks of life can have outdated views, want to stir the pot. And we see this all the time with with issues around the world. And of course, you know, Tim Smith jumped in as well. The former um, Liberal MP jumped in with his, his desire for more biffo in footy this week. And somehow that got conflated into, oh yeah, the AFL's jumped the shark here. It's got women's voices and we don't have enough fighting. And all of a sudden, people are trying to wheel back like it's actually an option for us to wheel back women's rights and to wheel back you know what some really damaging things that have been happening on the field you know back in the day and it's it's actually just not up for debate Mm. and I think look it's it's 
with Tim Smith, uh, he's using his platform on Twitter to try and find some relevance, I think. But so is the Herald Sun. Wouldn't you say that's the same thing? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, our friends at uh, the You're Wrong About podcast would always say, it's always capitalism. <laughs> Capitalism's always to blame. <laughs> and I think, you know, you can draw a pretty direct line there. But when I think about um, Tim's little outburst um, where he kind of Biffo seems to equate to passion and he's talking about old-fashioned Australian masculinity. It kind of gets into some other adjacent areas. And if I'm being generous, I'd say that I think Tim's experiences in life have probably connected that very narrow and outdated idea of masculinity with social capital. And I think he's somebody who's probably feeling like he's lost a lot of social capital and so he's clinging to it. But I don't think we can let it pass without kind of examining what the dangers of that very narrow idea of of masculinity are. And I know we've talked about it on the pod before, but there's a great, there's a study that came out in 2018 called The Man Box, a study on being a young man in Australia. And that research, which kind of mirrored research that had been done overseas in other other countries, um, but did it here in Australia. And it linked those stereotypical, very narrow ideas of what it is to be male with increased mental health issues, namely anxiety and depression, an increase in risky behaviours such as um, alcohol abuse or drug taking or driving too fast and, and a whole lot of those things, and also with an increase in violence and harassment against other people, including violence against women and also violence against other men. And so it's incredibly harmful to want to try and link sport and bring it to a a, a very, very narrow idea of, of what it is to be a man and to be championing that. I actually agree with a bit of what Tim Smith had to say, particularly where he referred to old fashioned Australian masculinity, because it is really old fashioned. So he nailed that part. Yeah, he did. Um, but Lucy, you're right. I mean, what what you're really talking about there is the existence of rigid gender norms and how dangerous rigid gender norms can be, and and the various social problems that they can contribute to. And and there is certainly, yes, as you say, an abundance of research that establishes those connections. So you know, we're we're thinking here about if you think about the various rigid gender norms that have applied to men, that kind of very narrow idea of masculinity that you're talking about. There's things like the idea that real men, inverted commas, are strong and show no weakness and that there's something problematic about showing any form of weakness. Uh, The idea that real men don't let themselves or others that they care about experience any humiliation. They don't back down from any contest or conflict, that real men defend themselves and the honour of other people that they care about and that real men don't take any any crap, um, that real men are sort of powerful and strong and fearless. These are the kind of rigid gender norms that have dominated for a really long time and that, um, as you say, Lucy, are sort of proven to feed directly into all kinds of social problems, including violence against women and violence against men. But the other thing that I would note about Tim Smith's comments, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, that violence on field in any sport, whether it's the state of origin, whether it's AFL, 
that is completely unconnected to the game is arguably a criminal offence. And there are instances where we have seen players in the past um, at different levels of the competition charged and prosecuted and um, receiving a, and receiving criminal convictions for uh, on-field violence. The most famous example, of course, is Lee Matthews and his assault on Neville Bruns many years ago. But there are countless other instances of on-field violence. I think of something like Barry Hall hitting Brent Staker off the ball many years ago, one of the kind of worst incidents that we've seen for a long time. And, and you know, you, you could name so many others that experts have argued should have been the subject of a criminal prosecution and perhaps weren't because authority figures balked a little bit about entering into the sporting space and weren't sure and hoped that the the competition might just regulate it and deal with it themselves. And in many instances, like in AFL, they have. But, you know, let us not lose sight of that too, that, that the kind of conduct that he's talking about is in many instances a criminal matter. And to see anybody of any political persuasion encouraging that, celebrating that and claiming that people want to see it is just ridiculous. It's also not a political position to want to see Biffo. Like that's just not a, it's it's not left or right. It's not woke or not woke. It's just a personal um, failing on on yourself to want to see people hurting other people. Mm. That's all it, it is. is. It's like it's, cult, the culture war kind of it conversation. It absolutely yeah. is. Like yeah. it all gets attached that if I don't want mm. to see that, that that means I'm, that I vote this way or that I dress mm. this way or whatever. Like, you know, and, and to bring back your earlier point, Kate, like I completely refute the claim that there is such a thing as a real man. Like what is a, yeah. like a real yeah. man? Like that that, that term doesn't exist. Lud- absolutely ludicrous. To that end, I bring something today that um, Alicia sometimes would be very proud of. It's actually a poem. Kate, you, just moments ago you said we've talked about this on the pod before and, you know, we're heading into our eighth season and, or this is our eighth season I should say, and we pretty much have talked about everything before and there's times when it gets so dark and it feels like, you know, we can live in this space because this is this is what we do and this is how we see the game and I think everyone who's listening, you know, is on board as well that it can feel overwhelming at times when you're watching the game and, and you just want to enjoy it because you fell in love with the game and you don't want to get into the depths of this darkness of people being horrible to Daisy Pierce or um, or willing there to be fights. And what I bring to you today is a part of a poem written by Jack Gilbert that was um, brought to my attention by Elizabeth Gilbert, who, to be really honest, I had, as an author, I had poo-pooed her because I, I read Eat, Pray, Love and then I saw the movie and I don't know what happened, but I decided that it wasn't for me. I've subsequently gone down an Elizabeth Gilbert wormhole and I think she's actually a fabulous writer and she brought to my attention this poem via her podcast which is called Magic Lessons. Anyway, it's just a portion of the poem called A Brief for the Defence by Jack Gilbert and I'm going to read it to you. If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. And with that, I open the conversation on the mascots. Yep. So, Katie, this week a new mascot entered the family. We want to congratulate and welcome this new addition. It is, in fact, drumroll, a quokka. 
can you please fill us in on what's been happening with um, with this new edition? Well, it's hard to believe that nobody thought of this before because Quokka r- rhymes with Docker. <laughs> um, so congratulations to the to the team at Frio. That's the name of the pod, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so Frio have rolled out a new mascot, Quokka the Docker, that is, um, as the name suggests, a quokka. There's, there has been some debate on social media about whether it really looks like a quokka or whether it's just a beaver suit. And it's just adorable. Down, it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. It's so adorable. <laughs> but it is adorable and, and presumably will sell a truckload of merchandise for Frio because, as Lucy pointed out earlier, it's always capitalism. <laughs> But, yeah, I loved the addition of Quokka and it actually led me, in in fact it led all of us down various rabbit holes investigating (laughs) the history of mascots in the AFL. Now, I didn't know this until yesterday and perhaps I'm Sandra Sully uh, with the late news on this one, but I did not know that all of the mascots apparently lived together in a place called Mascot Manor. It's just... Which must... Playboy Mansion slash Big Brother. It's like the Big Brother house. And I have to say... the house from Stranger Things. (laughs) (laughs) I them like in an island like Love Island or something. Yeah, I I don't know about a Playboy Mansion, but I pictured the Big Brother house but for mascots. And I have to say, if anyone from the AFL is listening, I would watch a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week reality TV show inside Mascot Manor. Just you know what else would be great about it? It would be so quiet in there because none of them sing or talk. (laughs) It would be great. It'd need really big doorways though. And really big pillows for their heads. (laughs) By the way, you know that that Quokka the Docker is wearing thongs? Have you noticed that? (laughs) Yeah. He's got little tiny purple thongs on. (laughs) But I didn't know this and Docker's listeners will no doubt pull me up on my lack of knowledge about the history of their club but they I'd forgotten this that they've had a number of mascots mm. over time and and their first one was called Grinder who is described and I'll just quote from Wikipedia here for you <laughs> wonder why they changed that name unfortunate <laughs> yeah Later. yeah yeah um although there's an e <laughs> Is described on Wikipedia as a cartoon-like Docker man in a similar style to Popeye with a permanent snarl, oversized jaw and ma- muscular arms. And then from 2000 to 2003, the Dockers had a mascot called the Doc who was a straggly, blonde-haired mos- mascot similar in appearance to Sean McManus, so basically like a stoner surfy, I think. I saw the Fremantle Doctor, you know, the wind. <laughs> Yeah, why don't they have a doctor? Why don't they have like, a doctor? Yeah, in a lab coat with a stethoscope. I feel like oh, what idea. they're showing us now is that they might. They're already going yeah. through words that rhyme with docker. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but their current mascot, they have you know more than one mascot, is Johnny the Docker, which of course immediately made me think of living on a prayer because Johnny used to work, used to work on, on the, the docks. docks. Yeah. So there's also Does that mean that's Gina? Idea. Is, is the female one Gina? Works the diner all day. <laughs> she works the diner all day. So that should be the new theme song, by the way, of the Frio Dockers. Oh, Living why on a is it not? Hmm. Wasted opportunity. You're such an ideas person. <laughs> Went down a little wormhole trying to find all the female presenting mascots and was quite taken by Aurora from the Lions just based on Aurora's name. Mm. 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 Very clever. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> you know great. the um the the Daisy one. It's called Daisy. Yeah, I know. I mean, she's still playing, and she's That's got a, a mascot named after her. That's yeah, there's a quota the for you, Rex Hunt. <laughs> That's what he's really <laughs> railing about. Look, I've got to be honest. I started looking at them, and I thought we need some fashion critical on what some of these. Mm. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what fashion critical is, it's quite a scathing um, social account where someone basically looks at the outfits of celebrities. But um, the Swans mascot got my attention. I've always been a big fan of the Swans mascot, despite the hardships and the, and you know the heartbreak that the Swans have um, imparted on us over time. But I've always loved the Swans mascot. It's um, Siggy, which is because it's a signet. It's not because it's not because it's smoking. No, the old fashioned footballer. It's exactly. It's not having a ciggy at three quarter time. For you, it's actually not. It's gender neutral, ciggy. I would say, um, style really stylish white plumes that are always fresh and impeccable and really well groomed, but doesn't have a traditionally admired body shape in sport. Like has definitely has a fupa, which is a fat upper pelvic area for anyone playing along at home, and doesn't and wears shorts. Doesn't try to hide it. Like still gets into the um, athleisure, which I really appreciate from Siggy. Um, proudly, it actually proudly accentuates Siggy's spare tyre and then they team it with the Swans jumper, not with long sleeves, like no fear of showing the literal bingo wings of Siggy, but still Siggy is really active. It's an act, act, really active mascot who likes to, you, you'll often see Siggy on a scooter, dancing, kicking the footy, but always just looks really joyous, has a really decent set of false eyelashes or, or just, you know, born with them, I suppose. I mean, you know, maybe they're maybe born, with born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. But it's the mascot that really, it really lives the ethos, I think, of sport. And you know how like there's women who maybe never swim because they don't want to get their hair wet because it'll their hair's already set. Well, Siggy has the most beautiful plumage, like tail feather. It's really cheeky. It's very fashion forward, um, unique, but doesn't worry about that. Like just gets on with it. I mean, you, you've got a white plumage, but you're still getting on a scooter wearing ill-fitting shorts. And I just salute that. I think um, well, I, I think wouldn't. Siggy sticks a baseball cap on top yeah backwards baseball cap and also Mm. some protective goggles slash sunglasses which I also think is a little it's probably supportive for Mason Cox to be honest like so a really supportive fashion forward style like really stylish gets involved in the sport doesn't worry about their body shape not traditionally athletic doesn't have any fake muscles I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Kim Kardashian wearing the Siggy inspired suit for next year's Met Gala though I'd have to say of course Bjork did it first so um that's my Siggy gets my salute it's hard for me to walk past Hawker and Hawkett but Siggy I have actually cuddled Siggy a couple of times and I made sure I had clean hands before I did it and they appreciated it. I just wanted to say that Siggy's not the only mascot wearing glasses, by the way, because Sunny Ray up on the Gold Coast mm. is rocking some. Mm. As they should. Some Ray-Bans, yeah, of course. Take your eyes. Mm. Very bright up there. But mm. um, it's good to see that coming in. I, I really like how you were very outward looking in, in what Siggy meant, I think, Em, for the sporting public. And I'd like to say that I did the same when I was thinking of the mascot that really speaks to me, but that the heart wants what the heart wants. And it's actually pretty, I've really just thought about myself here. And I just want to talk about Jock One-Eye McPie (laughs) (laughs) from Collingwood. They had me at pie. (laughs) Do they wear an eye patch? They literally have one eye as a cyclops. 
really wish they an eye patch would have just been <sighs> icing on the pie cake. <laughs> Cherry on the pie. But I think the reason that I just go kept coming back, I kept I was like, surely it can't be a Collingwood mascot that is is calling to me, but mm-hmm. it's the black. It's the black and white. Mm. And you guys know me. I, I pretty much only wear monochromatic. You and Chris Jenner. Um, <laughs> And it's really hard for me to get away from that. I love the sleek lines of uh, Jock's beak. Mm. Jock also has some pretty jaunty feathers. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll sometimes see Jock presented in quite a, a sharp, beaky way. Occasionally you'll see a more fluffed up Jock, mm. which I like. I like that Jock has that softer side. <laughs> I think that's versatile. Pretty important. It's a winter look. But Really, I, I can't go past the stripes because the stripes are classic, but they're also subversive. <laughs> and I think anyone who's studied fashion knows that stripes are iconic. They are a nod to the Breton fishermen mm. of old. And the reason they had stripes was they thought it was easier if they fell into the sea, it was easier to find them. So there's something I now know. But also that stripes have really been a symbol of political upheaval and have even been called the devil's cloth. <laughs> but when I see Jock, all I think of is is Audrey Hepburn or Bridget Bardot. Mm. Um, to mm. be perfectly honest, I would always prefer a horizontal, but there was no way I was going for a cat. <laughs> Fair play. This is un- this is surprising news though for me. A real mm. jailbird in that in those yeah. stripes, yeah. Jock. What How about, about you, Katie? Katie? Do you have a fave? It's a very hard decision because there's so much to recommend, so many of them. But my I've picked as my favourite and my fashion icon, Tommy Thunder Power from Port Adelaide. <laughs> Let me just talk you through what Tommy looks like and why I think Tommy's hot. Tom, Tommy's basically completely unconventional and a, an original fashion icon. Starting with have the fact that Thunder, I'm going to call I'm going to call him Thunder, has one of those oversized novelty heads that all of the mascots have, but it's in the shape of a lightning bolt, which looks different from every angle. So if you look at Thunder side on, you get the profile of mm. a lightning bolt, but then if you look at Thunder front on, he actually looks like a football whistle, like a massive football whistle. It's a modern day um, Picasso. Yes, exactly. It's cubist. And so go online and check it out because there's this kind of dynamism and the kind of magical way that that he changes depending on his which angle you're looking at that I thought was pretty exciting. He's quite a trendsetter, Thunder. So he was sporting teal long before the independence made it fashionable. So he's quite an icon in that respect. And you love your jewel tones, don't you? I do. I do. And what I love about Thunder is that he teams a teal décolletage with a very comfortable slip-on teal boot that's complete with a shark bite hem. That's fully back in fashion in 2022 as far as I'm concerned. But also, again, in terms of how iconic and forward-thinking Thunder is, Thunder was wearing these chunky shoes well before Yeezy made them fashionable again. He also rocks a cape for reasons that are completely unknown. I have no (laughs) idea what what that has to do with lightning. I should never have to explain a cape. No. Or thunder. Exactly. But I, it's, it's, there's something quite regal about it, Mm. um, obviously. Um, And it's that kind of daring, a mishmash of fashion styles, you know, the teal décolletage with the shark bite hem boot, with a cape, with the oversized novelty lightning bolt slash whistle whistle head, like bringing together heaps of 
clashing styles um, that would be very difficult to pull off, I think, in normal circumstances, but somehow just look amazing. So mm. the balance isn't off there. No, no, actually, it works. Like when you see it all together, unless if he like leans over, it really works. That That's true. The Which no, we have seen that with the giant. Remember how the giant has to have the handler to hold its head on? True, because <laughs> it's just a giant. True, and the giant mascot has got like the world's biggest mouth. <laughs> like it's yeah, like eight meters wide. Yeah, needs a toothpaste sponsor. The giant's G-Man. G-Man is the name of the giant's mascot. The other one that I quite enjoy is the three dogs for the bulldogs. It's yeah. a litter. I like that. That's like they've got a little crew. Mm. You know, it's not just it's not the binary. It's not you don't have a boy one and a girl one. Like you have you just have three really fierce looking dogs. They just kind of rough and tumble together. Yeah, that mm. reminds me of Littlest Pet Shop. That's very cute. It's adorable, in fact. Yeah, look, we would love to hear who your favorite, like your fashion forward mascot is. Uh, if you wanted to send us any of your, I don't know, fashion critical for what the mascots are rocking and, you know, they have changed and evolved over time. If I'm going to be controversial, I find Navy Nina and the blue guy mm. disappointing because it's actual people. We can see the actual human Where's yeah. the magic? legs. Yeah, there's, there's no, no magic, magic there. there. There's no. no magic. It's just a lot of like polystyrene underneath some mm. lycra. I mean, not, you don't want any of these muscles. ones, any of them near an open flame, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and those suits no. are COVID ground zero. So a big salute to the people who bring them to life. Yeah. No, <laughs> they are boring. Easy. It's a missed opportunity there. I'd like to see Carlton revisit their mascots actually. Yeah, there should be actually. A, um, they should table that at the board this week. Is there any other final business before we get out of here? Because I think we've touched on some of the most important topics in football this week, Katie. Yes. Well, on a more serious note, Em, you mentioned this earlier, but I just wanted to acknowledge on behalf of all of us that there had been a lot of loss in the footy community community recently and to acknowledge Paul Deere and his family, Ray Gunston and his family and also the family and friends of Willie Rioli Sr. Um, it's been, yeah, a couple of sad weeks in footy, that's for sure. It sure has, and the community is getting around all of those people and all of those families, but the loss will be felt. And I think also, you know, just on our socials, I can see that people um, are also, like a lot of our listeners are facing a lot of personal loss and tragedy at the moment. So we love you and thank you for sticking with us. We've been around for a very long time now and it just thrills us so greatly to have these conversations with you. Lucy, any final business from you? Only just to say that we did do a little shout out on the socials to see if there were any topics that uh, you guys wanted us to cover. We got a few answers. One of the ones is a real AFLW question, so we'll probably get to that in the next week or so. But if there is anything that you would like us to turn our minds to, please send us a message. We are the pod of the people. We are the people's pod. We are the people's, the people's pod. The people's, the people's princess podcast. There are three of us in this marriage. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. It, it has been an absolute delight to see you both. There's only one thing left to say. Do you remember what it is? It's been a while. Three, two, one. Go, Go buddy. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.